Hey there, I'm Sean Mallory, and this is my podcast, Where Did I Get Like This? A show where I talk to people about the places they grew up and how that affected their adult lives. This is episode 3.5, second part of an interview I had with a Chicago area production manager named Jonathan D. Alsop. I wanted to have this bonus episode. We talk a lot about theater, and so here it is. Part two of my interview with Jonathan. Enjoy. You're jumping ahead of me in terms of thought, but I mean, yeah, it is that notion of you are raised in one place all your life. Do you pine for that other, you know, or if you're dragged along life by your parents your whole life do you long for that small town you know and right. it's the whole grass is greener thing is but i'm guessing you found theater in high school i did i did find theater in high school i was still playing baseball and i was i was good i was not great but i was good i was catching i was a catcher and i caught junior high and i caught jv mm-hmm. sometimes i would be uh, suited up for varsity and sometimes i would just be watching just in case mm-hmm. And then I think I even maybe had played a varsity game or two. Mm. But that was also when I started in theater, you know, with uh, speech contests and, you know, choral readings and that kind of stuff. And then did a school play. And and then that has to do a community theater thing when they had someone step out. And I was like, oh, this is not just a school thing. This is kind of interesting on the community level. And then got asked to do another thing the next summer at another community theater Mm -hmm. and had to make a choice between baseball and theater. And I remember making that choice and it being a hard choice. And I remember crying about that choice and just sort of being all upset about it. And in the end, I mean, I I didn't have a career in baseball. Um, I like watching it on TV. I know all the, you know, I can tell you all the rules and I know what all the abbreviations and the stats mean. But I wasn't going to do that for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, like, what a a really great choice. And I think it, you know, it really stems from the fact that my mom took me to theater from a really young age. Mm. This was back when we lived in Newell. I was, you know, probably seven Mm -hmm. and she said that she took me to see this community theater production at camelot and it was about an hour away and the entire car ride home i talked nonstop about how i thought they did certain special effects how i thought about what about thought about the staging what i thought about the scenic design what i thought about the 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 sound levels and she would then take me to see another community theater uh, production of and i would do the same thing the entire way home just nonstop talking about it. Mm-hmm. And she saw an appreciation there, but she never pushed. She never pushed. And then when I did get cast in this, you know, high school production of Heading for a Wedding, oh, no G's involved, just Heading for a Wedding. <laughs> and, you know, I played a grandpappy and uh, had a corn cob pipe and, uh-huh. and uh, you know, wore overalls. <laughs> and she was like, I, I, I think he's good at this. And again, she didn't push too much, but she did sort of push enough where she was like, you can, you can be better. You can do that again and improve. Uh. And I remember sort of hating that at the time. But then I got cast in, you know, another show. Nice. And then pretty soon I was doing like scenic designs for these shows. Well, this is a very small school, mm-hmm. right? Like a graduating class of, I mean, we had like this, the largest class. And I want to say it was something like 35 people. Wow. And, and we had one of the largest classes. And so when I say scenic design, I mean like we were doing it all. Mm-hmm. And I was in band and I was in choir and I was in speech and I was, you know, did the yearbook one of the years and I was in, 
you know, like it was not a formal chess club, but like a little bit of a chess club. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I was an AP history. Mm-hmm. We all did all the things. Yeah. And so I kind of remember like starting to enjoy a little bit of scenic design and design mm-hmm. our production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Yeah. But I was also Charlie Brown. And I was also <laughs> like- Because you were the bald kid? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, thanks. I wasn't bald then yet. <laughs> that came much later after I fully committed to a career choice in theater. That's when my hair started falling out. <laughs> and, um, and so like we were doing all the things and it was just another thing I did yeah. until I got asked by a community theater nearby mm-hmm. in Clorinda to be a part of their summer theater and to be in the show. And then this guy who was running that program, mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, was like, hey, if anyone wants to come work on the sets in the afternoons. And so I wanted to do that. And I would show up every afternoon to help him with that. Yeah. And he taught me some things around scenic painting and he taught me some things around design. And in fact, he at one point offered, mm-hmm. I think this is far enough in the past where I can, you know, say this without, you know, anything, but mm-hmm. he offered to, because you could like enroll in any kind of school that you wanted to, you just had to get yourself there, open enrollment. Mm-hmm. And uh, he offered, he, he was like, I, I want you to come be in my program here for the rest of high school for your last two years. No kidding. And, um, and he lived kind of down in a small town nearby where I lived. And I was like, well, I, you know, driving to school there every day. And he's like, I would even offer to pick you up every day or whatever. And I like to anyone else that would just sound absurd, right? Like after staying in the same place and going to the same school with the same people, Mm -hmm. but I actually thought about it for a while. And I was like, this could really further my career. Like people who were coming out of his theater program were making a name for themselves and were really good. And still, still so, I mean, some famous actors and some famous technicians coming out of his program in Clarinda, Iowa. But I decided to not because I'd already moved so many times and I didn't want to do it again into what would have been the largest school I would have ever attended into a whole new group of uh, friends. And I often have thought about that choice and wondered, Mm -hmm. was that the right choice? And you know what? I have to say, there's a lot of times in my life, we're not going to get into any more of them today, I don't think, that have to do with relationships and uh, other things in my life Mm. where I thought, if I could, would I go back and redo it? The the father of of one of my uh, ex-wives once asked me, you know, about a choice I had made and said, would you hit the undo button? Mm -hmm. You know, would you, uh, you know, control Z? Mm -hmm. I told him then, and I still believe, about that choice and all the others that no, because they have crafted who I am today. And am I proud about, about everything I am today? No. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yep. But uh-huh. would I be someone else? And would I want to see what that alternate timeline look like? No, I'm not interested. I'm interested in this timeline and in this, you know, where I'm 41 years old yeah. talking to you about the many times I'd moved. Right so I chose not to do that. And I chose to stay and do all four years of high school there at South Page. And you know what? I'm still friends with several people out of that cl- graduating class. Yeah. And in fact, one of my best friends, one of my you know top five friends in the world is a wonderful person named yeah. Aaron who now lives um, when I'm home, not in Houston, when I'm at home in Illinois, mm-hmm. lives 35 minutes from me. And we get together a couple times a year and we chat. Yeah. That has been a rewarding relationship that I'm not sure would have endured had I changed schools. Oh, very cool. And so I'm very glad for that decision for many ways. And that really brings me to the fact that it's interesting that every place that I lived up until then, uh, if you'd say, who was your best friend in that place? Yeah. And who was your best friend in this place? And I could name someone and every single one of those people fell away. 
And I was always surprised when that happened. Mm. And, uh, you know, I still have all their names. I still keep up with them a little bit on Facebook. But when I left high school, when we all graduated high school, my senior year, when everyone was like, oh, I've just known you for so long and, and, and we're going to be friends forever. And yeah. I was the one who was like, no, we're not. Wow. Because I'd had this experience of, yeah, we say this, but it's just words. And I was the one who was like, no, these won't, yeah. I, we won't even remember each other's names for a while. And I'll struggle in 20 years to remember your last name. And, mm -hmm. and yet those are the people that I keep up with the most. And I don't keep up with tons of them, but enough of them where I was wrong in that moment. Yeah. I would like to be in more touch with them. And it feels more obtainable to do that and to be connected with them more than I ever thought it was going to be possible when I had this cynical view of how you keep up with people. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I definitely fell on the cynical side mm -hmm. early on. Both my sister and I learned that you just don't make those connections, right? And they're going to vanish. And mm -hmm. and that really stuck with me, my adult life, and I think into my career, regretfully at times. Yeah. Otherwise, just those relationships just felt disposable. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. the shortest we ever lived was 18 months. Yeah. The longest was four years. And so it just didn't register that that was important. And yeah. that is one thing I look back at as that's one thing I wish I would have known to steer away from back then, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I resonate with that so much, Sean, because I even carried that into adulthood. Mm. I've burned several bridges, my share of bridges in my life uh, yeah. and uh, not kept up with a lot of people because of actions I've taken or because of just my own sort of um, feeling of like, well, you know, why would they want to keep up with me after what I did? Yeah. And that I think derives from this sort of like, you know, disposable you used. And, and, you know, like I never thought of like these relationships as disposable, but I did think that they were, they would have an end date, that they had, there was a shelf life, right? Sure. Yeah. That's relatable. Like yeah. after three to five years, well, that relationship is over. Mm -hmm. And that has taken a lot of work and time in my life to overcome at all levels of relationship. Yeah. And even with family, you know, like there's my dad passed away in 99 and, and we don't have big family get togethers anymore. My grandparents passed away and mm -hmm. I long for that. And I want to have a big family that gets together. And yet I'm the one that has kind of, mm -hmm. what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, continued this disposable or shelf life of a relationship. Don't get too close, right? Mm. Um, because we're just going to be separated. And um, that's hard. And that's yeah. taken some working through and, and I think will be for my whole life, sure. some work to get through. Yeah. Just real quick, you brought up your siblings. I mean, are they nomadic as well? Or <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I had not thought of that until you started the question. And I was like, oh, gosh. That's revealing, isn't it? Uh -huh. My sister, yeah. when her husband was a pastor, they did move quite often. Yeah. And he passed away in 2006. And she has now lived in the same town where she and, and he lived. She's a school teacher. And she's now lived there in, I believe she moved houses once, but has pretty much stayed there ever since. So that's working on 15 years. Mm -hmm. 
And my brother, when he started his teaching career, he moved, you know, a couple of times as he got his doctorate and, you know, student teaching and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then has lived in the same town in Kansas for maybe like 30 some years now. Mm-hmm. And then my other brother has just always been nomadic his whole life, mm-hmm. has moved from town to town and mm-hmm. gotten jobs teaching or coaching or, you know, doing other things. Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of a, a, a range, right? And as I think about that, mm-hmm. I think about the town that I live in right now. And I've lived there now for four years, mm-hmm. approaching the four-year mark. I'll start my fifth year. We've lived in the same house now for uh, be three years coming up. And I would be lying to say I didn't every once in a while feel the itch. Yeah. And I can feel my wife behind me. I don't even need to look. I can feel her like sort of cringing, just thinking about packing boxes, yeah. about changing because she lived in the same house or, or maybe only lived in two places her whole life, but lived in her whole in the same house through all of her school. Hmm. So she's not used to this moving, but I feel that itch every once in a while. Sure. So I, I recognize that feeling. And this is perhaps uh, a way that will resonate with you or others in how I combat that feeling of, I, you know, it's been three to five years where we move and where we go into, is that rearrange the furniture a lot? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, or renovating a room, like repainting it or renovating our basement or things like that have kept that itch at bay. Yeah. I'm like, why? Why would we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, because Jonathan has the itch and wants to move again. <laughs> I, I do not. I want to be clear to people in the room and listening. Yeah. I do not want to put all my things in boxes, put it in a van and move it to a different place. Like that is not what the itch is. The itch is not the logistics of moving. The itch is I need a new space or a new surrounding to contextualize this particular moment in my life. Sure. And how my memory of a thing happening is related to a place. Yeah. And that's what the urge is. The urge is to say something major is changing. Mm. A big show is opened or we're opening a new programming or um, another big life moment. Well, I need something to contextualize this. Mm-hmm. It's very mentally strange and um, very emotionally straining for my wife. Yeah. I mean, because there are times where I'll be like, what if this couch was there and that chair went over there and then we move this thing? And she's like, no, we're not doing that yeah, tonight. Yeah. Why don't you draw it on a ground plan and we'll talk about it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you were talking about memory and it is interesting because in the same way my sister and I think about relationships, memories have been disposable for both of us as well. And again, both of us. And mm-hmm. as far as we know, we had a very loving household that just moved a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, our parents are very young, so I think they were on like the mistake side of parenthood, you know, <laughs> versus like the elderly statesman or whatever. <laughs> but we remember moves and like we grew up in England and we remember being the only American kids in our school. Mm-hmm. And we remember coming back to the States with British, little British accents and... <laughs> You know, and definitely remember moves and definitely remember some people, but mm. all the time it's we're getting reminded of, oh, and you were this. And when we lived here, you did that. And we're like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I just I don't know. It sounds like you had the opposite thing where you tied memories to places and objects and people, whereas we just kind of set them aside. And I, I find that really fascinating. You know, yeah, that is fascinating because yeah. the, the memories I struggle with the most to contextualize are the memories that happened in the same space. And obviously, we're not talking about tragic memories or anything major, but it's like, oh, okay, well, what season was that show in? A show that I worked on for months, Mm -hmm. a show that I, you know, 
well, put a lot into. But yeah, that makes sense to me as a professional, though. I can tie right. things in my life to what theater I was working at, or what you know. So that makes right. sense to me right. now. You right. know, totally. Right. Yeah, and yet I lived in Creed, Colorado, from two thousand basically five until uh, uh, 14. Mm -hmm. So those nine years in Creed, I lived in Mm -hmm. six, yeah, six different places in that town. Mm -hmm. And if I can narrow it down to where I lived in those nine years, I can almost nail the year within a year or two or within a month, you know, a couple months. And I have to tie it back to where I lived, even in the same town. Yeah. Well, that leads me to, did you do a lightning round of your career real quick? <laughs> sure. Right on. In 03, I went out to Western Washington University, their summer stock. I was their production stage manager. Mm-hmm. Then I stayed in Orange City, Iowa, where I went to school at Northwestern College and uh, was on staff there for a couple years. My first wife was still finishing her degree. Hmm. So I was on staff there. They just built a new theater. We were in the process. Well, mm-hmm. moving in was a part-time uh, office departmental secretary and then scene shop foreman for a little bit part-time as well. And then was a, a produce manager at a local grocery store. So I'd yeah. start there at six in the morning and then oh, wow. do that and then uh, go off to the, the theater and do that. <laughs> and then did a couple tours, like van and truck uh, mm. trailer tours rather okay. um, out of the school every summer they would send out uh, what we call drama ministries ensemble we go to every um, you know reformed church in America church and mm-hmm. a few uh, you know civic yeah. centers and that kind of thing and do shows in the summer so I traveled extensively in fact out of that tour those tours alone I got all I was had been in all but six of the lower 48 states oh, so no kidding every wow. summer lots of that okay and, oh, well, I guess oh, yeah. I, I just I want to pause you there, yeah. even though I told you to go quick. <laughs> so you were doing theater with a religious context mm-hmm. then? Yeah, yeah. It was a small Christian liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. And um, the shows we were doing, perform is sort of the wrong word, but we would present on Sunday mornings in churches and for okay. you know, Saturday night church services as well. Sure. It was all like host families and that kind of thing as well. Um, but for two of those years in college, I was their sound operator. And then when I was on staff for two years, I just like planned the tour. Mm-hmm. And then for two years while I was finishing up being on staff there, I was their tour manager on the road. And so, you know, was driving one of the vans and setting up all of the places and that kind of thing. Huh. So, yeah, with a with a religious context. I mean, it um, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it's very uh, antithetical to a theater life of most people, right, where it's pretty mm-hmm. debaucherous and you know i mean <laughs> was it a, i mean was it the pg mm-hmm. version of living as a theater person or was it did it still have some of that to it or i mean i, I don't i'm not trying to like judge mm-hmm. it or whatever mm-hmm. i'm just trying to think of yeah. what that would have been no, like you know yeah yeah i think mm-hmm. uh, looking back it certainly was the pg version of living ah, sure. and it was i i learned so much there mm. but i also was so sheltered the seeds were planted for me to become a much better person than I was and be a much better theater artist than I was. And seeds were planted that have yet to even come into fruition. But as we begin talking as in a theater industry as mm-hmm. being better to ourselves, being better to each other, mm-hmm. having more humane, like those seeds were planted by, you know, all of my mentors um, early on. But yeah. in the seed at the time, those seeds that were planted, I didn't know what to do with. I didn't have enough context for and I fought against. Oh, okay. And over the course of those years since, those seeds have begun to 
mm-hmm. make more sense, right? And at the same time, I was sheltered. I was in Northwest Iowa and small town, and maybe that was good for a moment, but it also was a little bit of a disadvantage in some ways. Mm. So uh, like anything, right, there's advantages and disadvantages. And I feel like that experience for me was good and made me who I was. But that is not the experience that A, everyone who went there had. It is not the experience that B, everyone would find useful. But there's also been a lot of really successful theater and not just, you know, uh, like theater in the sense that you and I think of it, sure. but even like worship leading as part of performance and also mm-hmm. like uh, playwrights that have come out of that and people that have gone on to have wonderful careers, you know, not household names, but wonderful careers out of that. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, I think really important to me that, that I have a career out of whatever mm-hmm. place I went to to get a degree from. And I think that has been true for me and for many others out of that Mm -hmm. sometimes. I mean, just, you know, all cards on the table, sometimes in spite of it, um, but sometimes (laughs) because of it. And I think for most people, if they're being honest, a real uh, appropriate mix of it. Wow. That's really cool. All right. So I stopped you. (laughs) Right. What what was next? So I was there in Northwestern for several years doing that. Mm -hmm. And then lots of other uh, background personal events uh, that happened Mm -hmm. all in there that I'll leave for me to work out yeah. uh, in my life with the people. That, um, but went to Colorado. Mm-hmm. We became a stage manager, tour manager for a, a tour, a van and trailer tour that was going out as part of the Young Audience Outreach Tour mm-hmm. from Creed Repertory Theater. Okay. And we performed in every cafe gematorium yeah, in sure. the American Southwest okay. um, over the course of about t- 10 or 12 weeks. And then I had nowhere to go. And I don't mean that in like, ooh, boo-hoo, what was me? I had nowhere to go. Sure. But I just didn't have a plan after that. Mm. And went and lived in my mom's basement, like uh, like a lot of people do for a hot minute while I figured that out. Okay. And worked my way through depression mm-hmm. and worked my way through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one day said, hey, I think I want to move to Chicago, which is where I'd always wanted to go. Mm-hmm. My mom said, I will pay for you to go to Chicago for the X number of days yeah. to figure out if that's what you want. Oh, wow. My mom is very generous. Oh, yeah. She has, uh, for much of my life, uh-huh. been very helpful when I have been in dire circumstances. Mm, right on. I went there, mm-hmm. and all I knew is that I had answered in, you know, backstage jobs back then, but offstage jobs now, <laughs> yeah. a thing where they needed a stage manager for, you know, like $500 for the run of the show uh, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. It was a storefront theater that at the time is now defunct, unfortunately, but at the time had a really good name. Mm. And we were doing it in the Chicago Cultural Center down in the loop. So oh, I could, um, I know you know, it. on yeah. a, on my resume say yeah. like, oh, yes, I once did a show in the loop. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> out of that, I got I got a job uh, in the scene shop at Northlight as a carpenter okay. and welder there oh, for sure. a, a minute. Yep. Then I got a call from Creed uh-huh. saying, hey, we want you to come out and be the yeah. production manager, uh-huh. not production manager, production stage manager for the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, the exact same day, actually, oh, yeah. I had a interview with Silk Road Rising now, but Silk Road Theater at the time. Yeah. And the interview went really well. And I didn't know what to do. And I walked mm-hmm. around Millennium Park for hours and hours and hours. Sure. There's a lot of personal stuff tied up into it as well. But I, I decided to go to Creed. Yeah. Went out there to become their production stage manager for the summer. Mm-hmm. At the end of that summer, I was going to go back to Chicago. But they offered that mm-hmm. I could become, join their full-time staff. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, they were going to build a new theater. And so the, the artistic director at the time said, you can be the assistant to the artistic director, mm-hmm. or you can be a project manager for this new building. And I said, I don't know anything about either one of those people. And I think you've <laughs> asked the wrong person. Uh-huh. I literally said that to him in his office. Uh-huh. And he said, well, I've not asked the wrong person. And I'll let you think about it. Oh, wow. Kind of around the same time, I also booked a tour of Christmas mm-hmm. Carol out of Nebraska Theater Caravan. Uh, well, and I said, well, yeah, I, I want to go do that. What's that? I grew up in Omaha and I worked there for a while when I was in high school. Yep. Mm. Yeah. I went off and did that tour Mm. and then came back and joined the full-time staff there at Creed where I was the project coordinator. And in the summer, I would be their production stage manager Mm -hmm. and then became their operations manager and still their production stage manager and then eventually their managing director and still their production stage manager and was there till 2014. Uh-huh. when I decided, again, through a lot of personal stuff that I'll work out with other people, yeah, yeah. but um, that I wanted to go freelance stage manage again and uh-huh. got a call from the Arvada Center mm-hmm. and went up there and, and worked there for a year sure. as they were trying to fill a, a role that had been recently vacated. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was an ASM on their musicals, a stage manager in their black box. Mm-hmm. And then I worked, you know, in lots of different places across Denver as a stage manager, um, everywhere from mm-hmm. Curious to Lone Tree to Cherry Creek, um, Arvada Center, Denver Center. I did a Christmas Carol at Denver Center one year. Yeah. So yeah, I did that for four years and just had a break in my schedule. Oh, Colorado Shakes, of course. Love that. Yeah. And I had a break in my schedule that I could not fill in Denver for some reason. It just dates weren't lining up. And mm-hmm. so I was like, hey, I've always wanted to go to Chicago. Let me just, you know, go to do these speed interviews that uh, that Steppenwolf sets up every year for equity stage managers. Yeah, you know, just get my foot in the door. You know, sure. let people see my name, and you know, I'll tell them I've not moved to Chicago and probably won't for a year or two. And yeah. you know, I won't get any offers, but it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I did that and interviewed with, you know, you interview like five minute interviews with eleven or twelve companies over the course of the hour. Yeah, and I left there being like, and I'd done that a couple times before and not gotten anything. But I thought, well, one more time, what, you know, it's not going to hurt. Uh-huh. And on the train ride home back out to Denver, I got a uh, call that said, mm-hmm. hey, we'd like to set up a in-person interview with you. Can you come out to Aurora? And I was like, well, I'm actually in the middle of Iowa on a train, so that's not going to work. But I got that. I got that interview and went out and did that. Uh-huh. I got to become the ASM on Little Mermaid out there, which was great. It filled this gap. And it was really wonderful to get to work at a new theater and work on a huge show like that. And mm-hmm. it was really fun. But I was away from Megan, who was still stage managing in Denver. And, okay. and so it just felt like a one-off. Mm-hmm. Well, after that, I had lined up to go be a guest lecturer for three weeks at a school in Oklahoma that their uh, stage management professor was on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. So I did, did, did that and then got a call saying, hey, we need a production manager here. Would you like to apply? I applied and got this job and moved out here in 2017 and stopped stage managing, although I Mm -hmm. uh, still keep up my union dues and still participate as I can and think I will stage manage again someday. In the meantime of all of that, so back in Creed and then through the few years of of, um, freelancing, I also got my master's from the University of Idaho remotely. They have a remote uh, learning uh, distance learning program oh, nice. and got my master's not in stage management but just in theater sure. so that was really cool okay. a cool adventure and that's where i'm at now i'm a production manager at paramount in aurora with a wonderful production management team mm. and i cannot wait to get back and safely start doing theater with them oh, I bet. and it's been a hard year of of being away 
but it's also been a wonderful year of reflection about how we can hmm. take uh, this moment, this pause that seems so uh, paltry to put it like that because it's so many people have have died and been hurt and lost loved ones. But we've taken these moments to be better, to be better people, to mm-hmm. you know, uh, fight systemic racism within theater and within our world, to to become more reasonable about work hours, to yeah. find systems that are uh, kinder mm-hmm. to people and to ourselves, to um, recognize that mm-hmm. being with our loved ones, that uh, seeing a sunset, mm-hmm. that spending time with family are important and that the work does not define us, that we can define ourselves differently outside the context of that. And I wish it hadn't taken me personally this long to realize those lessons, mm-hmm. um, but I've always had a hard head like that. But those seeds that were planted back in Northwestern are you know, are coming to fruition in that and in my career. Well, well I think being a little hard-headed is part of that industry, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, as well as a mild form of addiction. But, uh, <laughs> Sometimes not so mild. I mean, like, I mean, just to be honest, my you know, workaholism yes, was not yes. mild. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's always the joke. I mean, my boss at the Goodman pretty much died at his desk. Right. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's a weird and cool moment in, in time. And I can't wait to be a theater audience member more than a, a maker in the future myself. But mm-hmm. you just kind of left it in a really good place in terms of how has this way that you were raised shaped your worldview as a person, as an artist, as a professional. Can you trace it to any of that? I, I can trace it in positive and negative ways. Great. Perfect. Because my experience, especially because I am a white, cisgendered male, 40 years old, mm-hmm. my experience has been so privileged. Mm. And things that I had thought were what made me underprivileged, mm-hmm. grew up as a preacher's kid in a lower middle class income bracket, that I grew up in a Midwest uh, rural community. Mm-hmm. Those things that I would have seen at the time or even up until a few years ago as things that were hindrances and barriers, and mm-hmm. putting that in the context of our world, putting that in the context of my experiences since putting that in the context of the true barriers that are up against other people individually and collectively as groups Mm. i now see how truly privileged and blessed i was Mm. individually and collectively Uh, my mom is an incredible person and an incredible Mm. kind of uh care Mm. giver to myself and and has been there for me so many times. And how how wonderful and blessed and privileged am I to be able to say that? Mm-hmm. Feeling like because I had lost my father when I was 19, um, he passed away and passed away from cancer. I have seen that so many times in my life as, as wow, I only have one parent and, and look at me, I've survived. Well, I've had to endure so little to have that survival. Mm. Um, I... I learned my workaholism from my father. Mm-hmm. I earned my high blood pressure meds from my father. Yeah, sure. I, uh, not earned, I learned. <laughs> I have so many positive and negative things to attribute to not only my own upbringing, but the places that I was. But I have so many. Yeah. I, I, I take this question. This question is so hard because <laughs> I, at the same time, 
feel like, oh, the friendships that I have had, and and I use the past tense so intentionally here. Mm-hmm. The friendships that I have had are so important to me and have so shaped me. And I have lost so many of those friendships, some because of my own choices and decisions, some because I was moved away from those friendships or places, and some because other people have turned away. Mm. And that, the character that that has created, I wish, I wish I was able to, much like a a Western movie, be like, wow, that guy has been sued so much. He has so much character from it. And he's such an upright person because of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I have abused that those lessons as much as I have used those lessons to better myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, for me, at 40, and hopefully many more years ago, a revelation that as I see how I can use those moments Mm. of choices that I have made which have impacted that of choices that have been made around me like moves before I could have a choice around those of places I have walked away from or people that have walked away from me or I have distanced intentionally or not intentionally the more I see that as things that don't have to be left on a shelf that are not rooms in my heart that I close off and don't talk about and turn off the heat to Mm. But as rooms that I could go back and reopen safely and with, you know, appropriate amount of prayer, meditation and psychological counseling um, (laughs) that I, again, see how privileged I am, that all of those rooms do not contain things that will be harmful for me, that those are things that I can work through and how privileged I am to be able to say that compared to other people who have gone through such traumatic things. And I guess how that has shaped me is I have gone from a only child, woe is me, look at me, how poor am I, to perhaps, and I hope becoming a citizen of a wider world, a less homogenous world of a wider context and lens to become a better person within the context of my own story and owning my own story and recognizing that others have stories as well. Is the time where it's just set aside for that? But the time that is set aside for listening to others and helping them in their own story and journey is actually what propels us better into being better humans on this earth. That is beautiful. I couldn't have imagined an answer like that. That is really great to hear. And the reason why I'm curious about that is because, you know, as a kid, I hated moving all that, you know, making the friends and everything else. But as I grew older, I appreciated the balance that it provided in my life. I saw a lot of different kinds of people. I was exposed to a lot of different colors of people and uh, religions and economic levels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I am thankful for that as an adult Mm -hmm. that I had those experiences as sort of a, you know, a viewer, if nothing else, Mm -hmm. right? And even with this wide open life, we were incredibly sheltered from it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, I feel very similar to you, like I'm in a privileged point where I can look at it and hopefully try to be on the other side of it, you know, now mm-hmm. with that information, but, you know, mm-hmm. have also benefited from it and abused it. Mm-hmm. I just think having this background just gives you, if nothing else, just a, a different set of tools and lenses to, you know, look at things with. And I am so grateful for that in my own life. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, right on, man. Thank you for doing this, first of all. And then how how does this feel talking about it like this? You mentioned like therapeutic at one point. I'm just, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, there have been a couple times during this where I've been like, oh man, this is being recorded. Like this is like, he could he could edit this. Um, you know, like he like this could be what makes the cut. And like a little bit of it has been scary to say that, but mm. also authentically, like this is how mm. I feel, and this is a snapshot of who I am. Am I proud of the things that I have said? Mm, I hope so. Sure. Am I proud of the actions behind all of the things that have made me who I am? Absolutely not. Mm. And so it is cathartic, but it's nothing new. Yeah. It's nothing I've not thought about. I've just never thought about it in the context of moving, of of, of displacement, yeah. okay. and how all of those were my choice to some degree, except for the three when I was too young to have some say in it. Mm. And so I cannot be woe is me. I have to take ownership of those choices, mm-hmm. and I do. And there are some things that are, are alluded to in the things that I've said that I am definitely not proud of and I wouldn't want to talk about on a podcast. Yeah, sure. But the people who, if somebody listens to this and they are a part of those things, I give myself permission to not be the person that I was when I made those choices when I was 22 or last week, you know, and that's okay. Well, it sounds like you're evolving and still putting in the work at the ripe age of 40. (laughs) Well, I think we will all, I mean, I think we all should be, right? Yeah, no, I agree. That's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we all do as well of of a job as we should or could or would, you know, but yeah. Sharing this one thing that I know a lot about, you know, has made sense for me. And, and as I started to talk to people, I, I'm just glad I'm doing it, you know, so. Yeah. yeah, I will be fascinated to hear the whole series and hear the different yeah. experiences because my experience is so obviously sure. my experience, um, but also like hearing the context of other people, like even just hearing mm-hmm. your experience today has opened my eyes to how Yes, this was set for me to speak my experience, but I also in that moment and these moments have learned about your experience and been able to contextualize mine within that. I have no uh, context for being uh, in a military family and moving. Mm -hmm. We need to be hearing each other's Mm -hmm. stories and we need to be hearing the stories that we have not heard before. Stop surrounding ourselves with the stories of people who are just like Mm -hmm. us. That's not helpful. Let's let's hear the stories of people who are vastly different from us economically, mm-hmm. religiously, yeah. in in their uh, ethnicity mm-hmm. and uh, everything. Mm-hmm. Let's hear those stories. Sure. What I really want to know mm-hmm. is the the stories of of the people I've not encountered yet, uh, and I yeah. and I cannot do that mm-hmm. if I stay in mm-hmm. one place. I mm-hmm. must go to those stories. Oh, again, a very interesting take on that. I really like that. So. Nice. Well, yeah, thanks, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. You know, when you had said you had moved all these times, I I wanted to make the joke even here, you know, like, was that you're running from the law? What are you doing? You know, <laughs> but uh, sounds like yeah. a very interesting life. So. I was never running from the law, <laughs> but good. I was certainly emotionally running from lots of things in some of those moments. I get that. What is the old saying? You can go anywhere, but there you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we'll take care. Good luck with the the Texas trip and getting back to work. And thank your wife and your dog for your giving your time to me. And <laughs> all right, man. Definitely will. All right. Well, thanks, man. I will. Uh, I'll check in with you another time. Yeah. So. All right. Thanks, John. All right. Me too. Bye. Bye.
That was the second part of my interview with Jonathan D. Alsop from just outside Chicago. It was great talking to him. I, I just, again, really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too, and I thank him for joining me. As I mentioned in the last episode, this podcast can now be found on most major streaming sites, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review, use the feedback, and tell your friends if you enjoy it. I'll be back next month with an interview with a fellow military brat who also happens to be my sister. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. production of the full medium.